Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher. Today, we are going to talk about how a powerful book inspired one man's inner searching that has turned an incredible journey of world travels. This classic and very well-known book is called Autobiography of a Yogi, and it was written by Paramahansa Yogananda back in the 1940s. It's an account of the author's life as he searches throughout India for an illuminated teacher and self-realization. Our guest today is Jensen Martin, and he has dedicated his life so far to the teachings of Yogananda after reading the book as a teenager growing up in California. Jensen has gone on to earn a master's degree in yoga studies from Loyola Marymount University. In addition to his academic studies, his spiritual searching included a year living with monks at a Buddhist monastery in Arizona and several extended trips to study in India. Jensen recently returned from a trip to Pakistan where he was asked to present at a Buddhist conference. I am so excited to have this conversation with Jensen today and how this one book has sent him and so many others on a lifelong journey of adventure and searching. Jensen, my friend, welcome to the campfire. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's an honor to be here. I'm happy to have the opportunity to share with you about, you know, what I what I've gone through. Yes. And I am so I just I'm giddy right now because just the circumstances around how we met is just it's super fun. And I'm going to get into that. I can't wait to share that with the listeners. But before we do that, I, I want to just start with autobiography of a yogi and Yogananda. Can you just kind of summarize for anybody that maybe hasn't read the book yet? What, what, what is this book? What's it all about? So Yogananda was one of the first Hindu swamis to come from India. He came over in the 1920s to attend the Parliament of World Religions. And that was a time when there was a lot of new ideas coming forth into the U.S. And he brought this idea that that these mystical experiences, um, you know, that were known by the Hindu saints were the exact same as the mystical experience known to the Christian mystics. And he said that the way to acquire this kind of internal communion doesn't have to follow the dogma of any particular religion. And it can actually be done through meditation and these, these, you know, scientific methods of uh, yoga techniques. And so um, he taught this for, for, you know, t- a couple decades while he was traveling on tour throughout the United States. And the autobiography of a yogi was kind of his synthesis of his, his life, his experiences, and also putting in there, um, you know, the, the, the introduction to these techniques to kind of give people an idea of, of what he was teaching. And uh, that book was hugely influential at its time and has continued to be influential throughout the years. 
Um, you know, in my travels, I've, I've met many Buddhists, um, you know, Hindu, Christian, Catholic, just I, the whole list. And in every circle that I've been, I always meet people who say that the autobiography of a yogi was the first book that they read. And that's what kind of catapulted them into whatever spiritual direction that they ended up taking. Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable book. It really is. And so um, you read this book, I think you told me when you were 18. And yeah, so, 17 or 18. Yeah. So I'm curious if you can just kind of take us back to, to childhood and, and sort of how you ended up becoming, like finding this book, first of all. And then I guess the rest of the story is how, how it became so impactful for you. As a child, I was always interested in fantasy, um, you know, reading things like Lord of the Rings, you know, of course, the Harry Potter series mm -hmm. and different science fiction stuff. And I was just I was the type of kid to just be lost in this this whole other world, you know, this realm of wizards and goblins and orcs or aliens and all that stuff. Right. It was more real to me than than the world around me. It was certainly more entertaining. And uh, as I got older, and I started playing these immersive video games in which you can actually have a character where you can act these things out. It took on another level of, of reality for me. And I had this kind of uh, insatiable urge to, 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 to go deeper into that. And yeah. so I started researching, you know, shamanism and, and discovering that a lot of um, pre-Western civilizations had shamans, had mystics who kind of acted as a bridge between the spiritual and the physical realm. Mm -hmm. You know, as I was getting into all of this stuff, uh, I remember my father told me many times that I should read the autobiography of a yogi. And that was actually the symbol for me to not read it. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it was just like, no, you're not going to have anything to do with my spiritual path. Nice. Okay. Um, but, you know, I was meant to read that book because um, it, it was an interesting time in my life. You know, my parents had were getting separated. And so I kind of you know, with all this kind of family chaos, I, I dove deeper into the realm of imagination in a way you could say that was like my safe space. You know, there was a lot of, I guess, you know, yeah, chaos, maybe depression, confusion that was leading me into that. And so when my mother actually was the one who gave me the copy of the book that she had from her past, uh, that's when I, that's when I read it. And um, the moment that I read it, it was like it was like a lightning bolt because for the first time I had I read stories of these mystics, but it was put in a way that I could easily understand, I could easily access. And it also provided me with this idea of a community because Yogananda started an organization which is alive to this day. And so I could just go to the temple and meditate and talk with the people who had devoted themselves to that. I could talk with people who'd had experiences. And so for the first time, it felt like it gave me an access point into this realm of, you know, fantasy and mysticism, which had always just kind of been a, a distant, distant fantasy, you know, and this kind of made it real. Yeah, for sure. So I, I want to touch on the mysticism and the fantasy real quick. So just for like for our listeners and uh, like more context to sort of share um, with those that are listening to our conversation, um, our connection point. So I love this book. It's sitting right here and it's been sitting there for all of these podcast episodes, the red book on top. 
Uh, I first read Autobiography of a Yogi, I think last year, probably maybe 2020, 2021. But uh, a friend of mine had recommended it to me. And I, I just found it so interesting because um, Steve Jobs, the, the late founder of Apple, um, is said to have given a copy of this book to everyone that attended his funeral. So apparently he had planned out his own funeral and he gifted a copy. And there was an article that I had read. Um, Mark Benioff of Salesforce was kind of recounting it. And he had received his box and he opened it up and autobiography of a yogi was in it. And so apparently Steve Jobs's last message to his friends and family was read this book and focus on self-actualization because to Steve Jobs, he recognized that his intuition was his most important asset, and it was what helped him to find success. And so I read that book, and you know, I just, I honestly, I was blown away. And I'm going to tell you, like, there's an element of the I, the fantasy piece that I connected with because I am a child of the '80s, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and. When I read that book, like to me, there's an element of like Jedi, right? The Jedi from Star Wars that like these uh, swamis in the book, like had so many of these same characteristics as the Jedi. And so I connected with that as well. And so I understand when you're talking about like Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter books, like how that sort of all connects together. But, you know, just just a hugely hugely connecting moment for you and I in that. And I, I, so in the mysticism and in the fantasy, like what is it for you about the fantasy that, that helped you connect with it? I mean, you said it exactly. I mean, I also was a big star Wars fan yeah. with the, with the newer movies, um, not the newest, but you know what I'm referring to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a Jedi. I wanted to be, <laughs> you know, having the force powers and the lightsabers and so reading Yogananda's book, which kind of has an account of his meeting with different saints in, right. in, in India, you know, the one that's coming to my mind right now is his meeting with the levitating saint. And right. so he would go and he would visit this guy and this guy would sometimes be like just sitting there levitating. Yeah. And like the only time that I'd ever seen something like that was in Star Wars <laughs> or something of the like. And so for Yogananda to kind of um, put this out there uh, casually and he didn't try to, you know, convince us it was true. It wasn't, he didn't have, you know, chapters trying to tell us like, oh, you have to believe me. He just kind of said this. And then he had the, the, the middle part of the book was mostly about these Kriya, you know, his techniques of meditation yeah. um, that could help someone to develop these kinds of things. Yeah. And so reading that, it was like, wow, like if he's telling the truth, if this is not a lie, then this would be the best use of my time. <laughs> and especially because I'm, you know, I, you know, at the time, 17 or 18, I was like, yeah, I have a whole life ahead of me. If I start practicing this stuff right now, well, maybe by 25, I could be levitating myself. <laughs> there you so go. that, that was kind of the attitude. And, um, that's at least what started me on the, on the track, you know, 10, yeah. 10 or 12 years ago. So this book sets you on this path and your whole academic career kind of ensues from there. Like, take us through that. Yeah. So, uh, I read this book and, um, I just had this kind of insatiable uh, zeal, I guess you could say to kind of go deeper into this. 
And so that led me to going up to Northern California for my bachelor's degree. And at the time that I started, I was, you know, undeclared. And I just, I think I had the idea to be a philosophy major. Mm -hmm. And just over the course of my, my studies, my four years of study, I um, started to see that this spiritual stuff was not happening as fast as I wanted it to. And that it would take considerably more effort and attention than I than I thought it would, and so the philosophy classes, the well, anything besides the religious studies stuff, um, just kind of felt like it was a waste of my time. And so I ended up just devoting myself completely to this spiritual pursuit. And I found in the religious studies major uh, a sense of camaraderie. You know, not everybody had the same you know, background, but everybody was, everybody who was in that had some kind of deep spiritual calling to make that decision to be a religious studies major. And so I found friends and professors who were kind of understanding of the quest and who had maybe even lived out something similar in their own youth. And um, it was a really, it was a really remarkable time. There were some difficulties. I mean, in the middle of my in the middle of that bachelor's degree year, uh, I ended up taking a year off to go live at Yogananda's ashram, and I spent about nine months there, living with the with, living with Yogananda's monastics. And that was, you know, partly because it was really hard. I mean, you're trying to do, you know, your goals are oriented in a totally different way from the people around you, and um, it was really hard to kind of do that without this feeling of community support. And right. so. Going to the to the ashram really helped me to to go deep more deeply with that. Now, Jensen, was this was this the the monastery in in Arizona? No, that's actually that came okay. more that came later. This is more recent. That was more recent. Okay, cool. All right. Well, t so t can you tell us like the ashram experience? What 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 went on there? So you know, uh, ashram is just the the Indian or the Hindu word for monastery. Okay. Um, they have a schedule where they, you know, get up at five or something, and then there's a group meditation for an hour or so um, in the morning, and then communal silent breakfast, and then everybody kind of has their work jobs, and they, they do that. They take an hour break at lunch uh, to meditate and have silent lunch, and then in the afternoon, another three or four hours of work, and then some free time before the evening meditation. And they had, you know, on weekends, they would have longer meditations and there were, there were opportunities for kind of like group bonding. And uh, it was a tremendous experience because there were other young people like myself and then there were older people kind of in the end stage of their life. And then there were the monastics who, you know, had fully devoted themselves to this life. And so, and it was men's only. So that also uh, was a different kind of mm -hmm. element to it. And it really created a sense of, uh, camaraderie and growth. And I really felt like within those nine months, I gained, you know, years, if not lifetimes worth of inner progress. Yeah. So I'm curious, I mean, you're in school and you said, you know, managing everything was, was really difficult and challenging. You take a year off and you go to the, like, how do you end up at the ashram? Like, how is, how does that happen? I mean, just to be honest, I was just super depressed. I mean, like, I had this ideal of what I wanted to be. I had read Yogananda's book. I saw these great yogis and I knew that's, that's who I want to be. That's, I want to um, manifest that as, mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. 
and I was trying to kind of like whip myself into shape, you know, get this met this discipline going to meditate every day. And my idea, you know, I'm an idealist. So it was like, well, one hour isn't enough, you know, you should be doing at least four hours of meditation a day. And, you know, I had a lot of extremist tendencies at yeah, the yeah. time. So I was trying to fast and everything. And trying to do that when my roommate is just like going out and drinking and smoking, Got it. you know, every night, yeah. it was like, a mixing of worlds yep. and I, it, it was a struggle cause I didn't have really anybody who understood, you know, the, the level of the quest that I was putting myself on. That makes sense. So the ashram mm -hmm. gave you kind of relief from that and it gave you the space to be able to really focus on, on that practice. Yes. And it also showed me that my, my tendencies were too extreme, even for the ashram. It helped to work out some of this balance. You know, when I saw the monks who had dedicated themselves for their life and that they weren't doing all this crazy stuff like trying to fast or like push themselves into an unnatural routine, it helped me to find that balance within myself so that when I did return to school, I didn't have any of those same problems. Yeah. So it's super interesting because what I'm hearing you say is that you kind of had this like extreme desire to be one of the characters in autobiography of a yogi and you were pushing yourself so hard to essentially achieve that. And it took going to the ashram and kind of living with the monks to, to see that you, you could sort of um, let it happen a little bit more naturally. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's awesome. So man, you got a great story. I want to, I want to keep going. So after the ashram, what comes next? So ashram, I go back to school. And so what the ashram did is it instilled this interest in becoming a monk. You know, I saw these people who devoted their lives to it. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do as well. So I was just going to finish my final year of school, get my religious studies degree and go back to the ashram. And when I went back, when I left the ashram, I discovered that I was actually an entirely different person, that the nine months in the ashram had totally changed me had given me a sense of clarity and purpose. And I, I just reveled in the opportunities that this religious studies degree provided me that I hadn't been able to access before because of, you know, the ways that I was clouded. Can you, can you talk about that transformation real quick? I mean, you said you're a totally different person. Can you talk about that? What, what was that transformation? It's subtle. It's kind of hard to just this, I, this process mm -hmm. of living in a, in a space like that, you know, where you have this routine, this meditation routine. I mean, I was doing four or five hours of meditation every day for nine months. And, you know, when you're, when you're, I guess I was maybe 19 at the time, like when you're so young, you know, that those, when you dedicate that time to something, your, your mind is very flexible and you can make, you can make connections that, you know, quicker perhaps. So anyway, I just really absorbed a lot from that experience. And it's not any one thing that I could put my, put my finger on, but there was just a sense of strength or clarity that came um, just in who I was. And that, that was able to empower me through the rest of my studies. Awesome. I love clarity. Okay, great. So anyway, I went back to school and uh, I ended up, meeting somebody, I was in a relationship with a woman who was also in the SRF. And that came out of my, I actually started a, a, a Yogananda meditation group in the college town that I was in. And then through that, I met somebody who had grown up in the tradition when we started a beautiful relationship. 
And then for my final semester of college, I actually went to India to study abroad there. And mm -hmm. so then I was in India for nine months. And then that was a whole nother shift. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's talk about that. Going to India, you know, so when people was, so when you read the autobiography, Yogananda is kind of like glorifying India as this spiritual paradise. You know, you have this idea like, oh, there's this saints walking around on every street corner mm. and going there. And I knew that, of course, it wasn't what I expected it to be. But still, because that was my only exposure to it, mm. I just thought that maybe I'll meet, you know, two or three saints. Right. Well, anyway, I get there and it's just like, I don't know, they got... They got over a million people there. It's it's total chaos and it's dirty and, and it's smelly and it's really hard and you don't have access to the things you're used to having access to and you don't speak the language and you, people are friendly, but it's like, it's just a whole nother world. And um, I was quite overwhelmed. And however, in the midst of that, there's this like thousands of year old Hindu tradition where they're worshiping the same gods that your ancestors have worshipped for generations and generations. Mm -hmm. And there's a tangible power in that. And because of, you know, the time that I'd spent with the autobiography and with those teachings, I was able to kind of access that and, and understand what that was and really feel like I received the blessing from something, you know, very ancient. And it also broadened my mind because traveling to a place like that and seeing how spirituality can manifest in, in different kinds of ways uh, really kind of showed me the freedom that was possible. Yeah. What, I mean, can you talk about like, I'm, I'm imagining like sort of a feeling. You talked about like the ancient history of it and you said sort of just tapping into um, the, the gods that they've been um, worshiping for years and how there was that sort of, I guess, a feeling. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So the original trip that I was going to do when I went to India was going to be just a four month study abroad, go there, come back. And that was it. And I was going to be in the university town in Bangalore in South India. And that was it. And in order to travel more, I would have had to, I had to change my visa from a student visa to, to tourist visa, mm -hmm. is it, which is actually quite a difficult process to do when you're in India itself. Yeah. So I was kind of sad about it. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to India, but I'm not going to be able to visit the holy places. And somebody told me, who was also a Yogananda member, he said, no, you have to. Like, if you're going to India, you have to go to those places. And then he shared with me the quote. So when Yogananda passed away in 52... Uh, he passed away in a dramatic way. He was giving a speech um, in front of a bunch of international delegates and he took the podium and he was giving this talk about the divine. And then he had this poem that he shared. And I don't remember the entire poem, but it was essentially glorifying India. And the last couple lines of the poem, he said, were Ganges, woods, Himalayas, and men dream God. I am hollowed because my body touched that sod. Mm. And then he just died. Wow. He just, he said that was his last words. I am hollowed because my body just touched that sod. And so here is somebody who by his followers is considered a guru, somebody who has an incredibly divine connection. And he is just passing on whatever connection he has just to the fact that he touched the, the, the soil of India. Mm. 
And that left a deep impression on me. And so that was like, okay, I have to go there. And, you know, that there's been so many thousands of years of, of saints and people who have worshipped there that even just by going there and being totally ignorant, I'll still pick up some subtle blessing that perhaps I would have missed out on had I not gone. Wow. And um, same kind of thing. Like I couldn't put it into words exactly what transformed me about my time there. But um, there was just this kind of, yeah, this, there's just a couple moments, you know, so you feel something in the heart or you have uh, something lines up in a kind of coincidental way. And then you end up at this beautiful place that you never would have found out about yourself. Yeah. And things like that, when that happens, there's just this feeling of, wow, there's something behind the scenes that is greater than me that is really happening here. Well, moments, okay? Yeah. I mean, this is like, I love it. And I love tapping those moments. And so like, I got to just pause real quick and just, you know, share with the listeners the moment that you and I met. It was really kind of interesting. So I shared that I had read the autobiography of a yogi. And a couple of weeks ago, I happened to be at a business conference in San Diego area, and I was staying in a VRBO in Encinitas, California. Well, Yogananda has the Self-Realization Fellowship um, right there in Encinitas. It's a beautiful, um, there's a, a temple, there's a meditation garden, this, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And I was actually just sitting at a coffee shop and I was just, I had this thought like, oh, I think the self-realization fellowship is close by to here. And I pulled up my phone and sure enough, it was like a five minute walk away. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. That would be kind of a cool place to go walk by. And I went to the website and it said there was a meditation session going on in the next 30 minutes. And I was like, wow, like I could walk 10 minutes and be there and maybe they would let me like come in and participate. And so I walked over and Jensen is standing there <laughs> and it's just you and I and the doors were closed and I wasn't really sure what was going on. And I just said, is there a meditation that's getting ready to start here? And then all of a sudden we had this connection and we start talking and now we're on this podcast. And so, you know, you talk about moments like that was a moment. And I just think that, you know, there, there definitely is something that's uh, that's drawing us all together. And I just think that that's so cool. There seriously is. And I mean, that kind of stuff has happened to me just like countless times, you know, I would just, I couldn't even write a list of all the kind of stuff that has happened like that. And, uh, those are the kind of confirmations that I kind of look for, you know, just like, wow, yeah, I am connected. There is something connecting, connecting us here. Absolutely. So yeah. um, let's, so you're in India, you were there for nine months. Um, and then tell us what happened after that. So I get back from India and um, there's this kind of feeling like, okay, well, I should probably be practical, but I still hadn't let go of the monastic aspiration, even though I was in a relationship. So I actually returned back to the ashram uh, in California and I stayed there for a couple months, but I ended up moving back to my college town and, and running that meditation group for a couple years and, and getting a job and trying various forms of work. But um, I was encountering kind of the same obstacles that I encountered before you know, going to India had left me with this taste for, I don't know, for the magic of it. And uh, I felt like I'd had a glimpse of something um, 
you know, I, the glimpse into the possibility of myself as one of these, you know, swamis, you know, now I wasn't so much interested in the, in the powers and the wizards, but now is like, wow, I could be a, a swami, you know, living without food in the mountains or something. And so I was, I was struggling. It was the same kind of thing I went through in college. You know, I had very ordinary coworkers working at a bakery and I just wanted people to, to share my enthusiasm with, and uh, that was not the audience. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up, you know, one of my professors recommended me to grad school. And so I looked into different programs and then I found uh, actually a yoga master's program in Los Angeles at the Loyola Marymount. And so I applied for that. Everything came together. There were a lot of little moments and synchronicities that seemed to guide me into that effortlessly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I moved down to Los Angeles and, and did that two years master's program. Yeah. So I loved, you said, you said you had a glimpse into the possibility of myself. Yeah. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? What, what was that glimpse? What did you see? You know, I mean, same thing we've been talking about. I just, I saw myself as, as the Jedi master is really this, this is the most simple way to say it. I saw, you know, it didn't, it wasn't really important to me where I was, what I looked like, what I was doing, but just the, the that feeling of myself mm -hmm. as somebody who had awakened his, his latent force powers and was actively using them in, in daily life. Um, and so I, I felt like that, that was somebody that I had the potential to access that. Yeah. And that with a little bit more time, with a little bit more effort, with a little bit more focus, that, that that was something that I would be able to develop. Yogananda's organization is called the Self-Realization Fellowship. That's what SRF stands for. And uh, Mark Benioff said that Steve Jobs' last message was actualize yourself. So this, this concept of like self-realization, self-actualization can, what, what is that? What is self-realization? There is a definition, which I do not recall off the top of my head. Uh, but essentially, it's referring to the self, which is not the body that we, we believe ourselves to be. Um, the, the way that I like to think of it is that, you know, oftentimes we think of ourselves as bodies with consciousness, but it's actually reversed. We're consciousness with a body. And so this identity that we have of Jensen, of Scott, that's actually a limited understanding of who we are, that our mind exists way beyond that. And that, that consciousness is actually who we really are. And that's something that's beyond time, beyond space, and far, far beyond this idea of a body. And so self-realization is the idea that you have fully realized who you are at the most fundamental level and that that's something that you can embody in every moment of your life and use in whichever way you feel called to use it. Wow. Super. It's super deep. Um, you know, the <laughs> word, so self-realization, um, and as you just said, like a lot of us think that self means Scott and self means Jensen, but what I'm hearing you say is it's, it's a deeper self. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so cool is that this whole podcast is about this voice inside that calls us to adventure. 
it's yeah. that voice when you want to, when you want something like when you want to, you know, you, we've got kind of this, this call to go do something that's really important to us. And I'm just wondering right now as kind of connecting these dots is it, is that the same thing? Certainly I would say so. Certainly. I mean, you know, you have your, your ordinary body and then you have your ordinary surface mind. Well, Yogananda describes multiple layers of the mind, you know, and then you have your subconscious mind, but then you even have your superconscious mind, which are thoughts that you, you can't really even access consciously unless of course you're an adept in meditation. But I believe that, yeah, oftentimes these unexplainable, you know, calls to adventure or intuition, like Steve Jobs is referring to, that that is coming from from some from a super conscious place, from from the from this region of self, yeah. And it's kind of saying, hey, you know, something's got to change or something something's got to happen here. Yeah. yeah. So, so Jensen, what I find so interesting, you know, you you've been. Um, called sort of by this book and it's been this inner journey for you, but this inner journey has taken you on so many external adventures. I mean, you've been to India, you've spent time in an ashram. I, I want to take a couple of minutes and talk about your experience in Pakistan and the experience living in the Buddhist monastery. How do this, those two things relate? Like how does that come to be that inner experience sort of translating into a, essentially a life of adventure that you've been living? Well, you know, it's certainly different for everybody. You know, not everybody who's read the autobiography and felt called to that has had the same kind of life as me. Um, I think that I particularly, you know, as I think you said it great earlier on, is that I had a longing to be one of the characters in the autobiography. And, um, you know, one great thing about Yogananda's book is that it really does kind of read like an adventure novel. And so it absolutely I, does. <laughs> it's a really good book. You know, instead of taking those paths that would lead me to kind of inner retreat and uh, maybe outer stability, I kept kind of doubling down on the adventure quality. Mm -hmm. And when things started to get less adventuresome, you know, somehow I would find myself in situations to kind of pick up the heat again. Uh, and that led me, you know, through all more further twists and turns, you know, into different religious paths and different, you know, just going to Pakistan, all these things, um, they were like, just following that theme of adventure, adventuresome, you know, I've gone through many twists and turns in my search to kind of become the ultimate spiritual character. And in some ways, it's led me through a beautiful life. And uh, in other ways, it's led me through an extremely difficult life, because, um, you know, perhaps there's a quality of that that's, you know, they say like spiritual ego type of thing, you know, like, am I cultivating a real spirituality or am I cultivating, you know, uh, a character, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, so where are you with that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a difficult process for sure. Something that I've, has taken many years. I mean, I've always kind of returned to before making any decisions, really trying to feel, you know, is this, what are my intentions behind this? Am I just trying to 
you know, create this portrait of myself that the world sees that this is, you know, that I'm this amazing spiritual person who's been all these places, or am I actually doing this because this is what I'm really being called to do. And the whole time I feel like I've really been doing it because it's been actually what I've been called to do. Um, but now where I stand, you know, I'm about to be 30 and, uh, I don't have any kind of the practical stabilities that other people my age have developed. You know, I, I don't have, you know, anything, you know, any skills that would be um, marketable, stuff like that. And so I am starting to wonder if, if it's time for a direction change or something. Mm. Yeah, it's, I'm at a crossroads at this, at this current point. But yeah. reaching into the faith is kind of where, where I'm at right now is kind of going back and just say like, look, you know, Yogananda, you've been with me this whole journey, you know, let's, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I think this is part of the, the hero's journey, right? I mean, you've been on this journey, you've loved this, lived this sort of life of adventure and it's been, you know, it's been your path and I'm sensing like a little bit of doubt maybe creeping in. And I'm just curious, like if, you know, if you, if you can feel that as, um, sort of that core voice that we were talking about, or is that like a layer of ego or worry on top? It's hard. To, it's hard to say right now. Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, there was a prayer that I had, uh, at times in my life. And I guess I still feel the same way. Um, it was kind of like, you know, I'm willing to be a millionaire who's the head of a company. I'm willing to be a husband in a relationship. I'm willing to be a yogi in a cave. I'm willing to be a drug addict on the street. I really do not care where I end up mm -hmm. so long as I know that that's the spot that I'm divinely meant to be. And that's, you know, that I'm fulfilling, I guess you could say the divine will by being in that spot. And so I always kind of was hoping that divine will could, would just kind of like step into my life and take, take over and just kind of put me in a spot where I didn't really have to think about it anymore. Mm. And that hasn't quite happened yet. Even with all of my searchings and even with all my experiences, it's, you know, it's still kind of like up to me. And I'm reaching this moment now where, you know, I'm, a, I'm an adult and I don't have the same opportunities that I had in youth. I don't have the same time. I don't have the same body even that I had when I was younger. And so it's kind of like, well, now you kind of have to step through a path, you know, practically. Mm -hmm. And as you take that direction, you know, those other doors might be closing. And the pressure of that is a little bit strong. And so it's like, okay, like, is somebody going to put me through one of these doors <laughs> or do I have to choose myself? Like is the divine, the same divine that led Yogananda across the ocean to come to the U S you know, it was kind of laid out clearly for him. So can it be laid out clearly for me <laughs> or is, am I going to have to just choose? And so that's kind of the, the, the position that I'm in right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I heard you say it's still up to me. And I'm just kind of wondering if there's a both and in this. Yeah, I, I think that's what I'm sorting out right now is, um, you know, how much of this is a dialogue between me and, and the divine, I guess you could say, or me and Yogananda, how much of this is, is, is just myself. And even, you know, if I'm being transparent, I mean, 
you know, many people have read Yogananda's autobiography and it doesn't mean that everybody that has read it uh, is necessarily his disciple, you know? And so even if I've, you know, read his book and even if I've had a life, you know, 10 years of experiences being inspired by it, is Yogananda aware of me the way that I am aware of him, you know? Mm. So I'm asking some pretty big questions right yeah, now. So you certainly it. caught me at an interesting phase it's of life. Great. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think this is part of the life's journey. It's, it's figuring it out. I think we all, we all go through it and that's just part of it. But, you know, at some point you kind of look back and, and, um, you know, I think gratitude is a huge piece of it. And I mean, I look at, uh, all the travels that you've had, that you've been able to do in your life and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty full for somebody that's, you know, in their thirties, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, I will kind of, touch on that and just say that like you know this is this is the incredible way that i guess you could say life or the divine kind of unfolds is that we are all on these deeply personal journeys answering deeply personal questions that really only matter to us but in the process of that we create connections we create community and we hold the space for each other in 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 these kind of random moments that are outside of our control you know i mean the way that I met you at the temple that morning, you know, I didn't really share it with you, but I was having a pretty tough time. I was thinking like, man, like I, you know, I was really going through it myself, you know, <laughs> but even in the process of myself going through it, there, there's the, the possibility for some, you know, great inspiration, some great connection to take place. And, um, you know, a good example of this is this Pakistan trip that we haven't quite touched on yet, yeah. but I was just briefly, you know, I was invited there to, to, to present at this Buddhist conference. And um, it was a great opportunity. There were only 20 or so selected presenters. And I was I'm one of two, I think, from the U.S. And, and certainly the only white person. The other fellow was a Pakistani. And it was wonderful. And then I made tons of connections. You know, they took us on a tour to all of the Buddhist ruins. And I had the opportunity to just have some fantastic experiences, you know, in the Pakistani Himalayas. And just I had access to places that I never would have dreamed that I was going. And it was a wonderful service to Pakistan, to the community. You know, when I went there, I took on you know, I, I, I started like a GoFundMe campaign and I raised a lot of money and I was taking the prayers of my community over there. And so when I went to the holy places, I would think of all my friends and family who were supporting me. So I really felt like I was acting like a bridge between Pakistan and the U.S. Mm. But my point is that on the flip side, I was also aware that this Pakistan trip was largely a delay in answering the difficult questions for my life. It was a way for me to kind of be like, well, I don't have to figure out anything practical right now because I'm going to Pakistan for a month. So I, you know, I needed, of course, I needed the, the couple months beforehand to prepare. I couldn't take a job because I was going to go on this trip. And so I was kind of using it as a way to delay the big question of like, what am I going to do with my life? And so, you know, simultaneously, perhaps there was an element of, you know, escapism, 
of, of avoiding responsibility. But then on the other side, there was this tremendous service that I was able to accomplish for the people there, the people here, and tremendous flowering that came out of that. Yeah. And so the contradictions can be present. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know? I, mean, I think what I'm sitting here thinking to myself is like, what if you don't have to answer the big questions? What if you just go and do this service? You know, you have this skill, you have this knowledge, you have this beautiful academic career and, and all of this to offer. Maybe you don't have to answer the big questions. Yeah, certainly that's a possibility. I mean, it is, you know, unfortunately, you know, the reality is that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle out there for people to make a living uh, with this kind of skill set. I mean, um, or at least I, it's been a struggle for me and my peers, uh, you know, Pakistan, they didn't pay me anything for all of this. So it was like, it was a great service, but it was largely done at my expense. Yeah. And so, uh, there are opportunities out there and I know that there's people that are thirsty for this kind of wisdom that I've been able to acquire, but, um, I haven't quite found the way to make it into something practically sustainable. Maybe, so it's, maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a book. I'm open to that for sure. I love it. Well, listen, um, you know, in all of your experiences uh, in the inner and in the external and the travel and in all of your life experiences up to up to this point, what advice would you have for other people maybe that have read Autobiography of a Yogi and been inspired um, or kind of, you know, feel that sort of inner voice, but maybe haven't figured out how to develop that inner voice what advice would you have for people i would say you know if you haven't read autobiography of a yogi you should read it and if you have read it you should read it again <laughs> i love it it really and it's, it's it's funny he's a it's a funny i mean it's a really good story it's it's got uh, humor in it it's just it's just a really good read I have never met somebody who read the book and said that was a waste of time. Yeah. There, even if you don't, even if the fantasy stuff doesn't appeal to you, even if you don't believe in all the miracles and stuff, I promise there is something in that book that will stick out yeah. and shift something. The way that Yogananda talks about God and it, it, it makes it make sense in a way where it's not this kind of dogmatic, heavy Christian thing that people might be dealing with. It, 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 it's like, oh, this is just about having a personal inner relationship with the divine. Like, wow, that actually makes sense. Okay, so there's that. And then I would just say, try your best and try to listen to your intuition. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it's just like, I, I mean. The simple stuff, right? You, we can't, you, nobody can answer those kind of questions for you. The one thing that I will say, though, is that being of benefit to other other people mm -hmm. is really the only thing that is of any real value in my opinion so even you have all these wonderful experiences if you don't find a way to translate those experiences into benefiting other people it kind of doesn't go anywhere it kind of those blessings kind of fizzle out and so whatever you do in life you just have this attitude that like doing this for the sake of for the sake of others uh, even if, even if there's nobody in your life that you're thinking of and particularly just that feeling that I'm here to be part of a, 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 a larger circle yeah. that I think will help the most. I love that. I, lo I love that. I mean, there, there it is right here. We're, we're, we're here for each other. Yeah. I love it. All right. So in all of your searching, 
you know, Hollywood's going to make a movie about this story at some point. And (laughs) when they do, Jensen, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you? Well, you know, I kind of see my own life as a bit of kind of like a heroic comedy kind of thing. So I think probably someone like Nicolas Cage Uh, or something like that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's actually perfect. And uh, so what's your movie going to be called? I mean, Carrying the Weight of the Spiritual Ego. Oh, wow. Carrying the Weight of the Spiritual Ego starring Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Man, I love it. And he'd be in all these kinds of humorous situations because of, you know, all this spiritual stuff that he was trying to accomplish and was never quite quite clear. Like, was he was he actually connected to the divine or was just kind of like living this character? But at the end, it all comes together. Well, you're living this cool life of adventure and this conversation for me and most likely many of my listeners has been like mind expanding um, I just love sort of the, 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 the cultural awareness of the different perspectives that exist on this planet. And it's just been a really fun conversation to have with you. And uh, for those listening, I hope that you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Jensen's story has encouraged you to listen to that voice inside of you that calls you to adventure. Because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Jensen, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been a blast.